Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Tori Says Show. Before I um, put up the first episode of the Fall of Babylon, I wanted to take a minute and just say something, right? In our lives, we always set expectations on people that we, all, that we don't really know. And it often leads to disappointment because these expectations are formed without... Um, a comprehensive understanding of the individual's capabilities, limitations, and personal circumstances. And these expectations may be unrealistic or misaligned with the person's actual attributes or intentions, resulting in a mismatch between your anticipation and the reality. Now, the discrepancy between what you expect and the actual behavior can not only lead to disappointment, but it can cause severe damage in communication between persons. Now, uh, placing expectations on others without clear communication or a mutual understanding can cause strain in relationships and hindering the development of support. So like many of us, this past week for me, I have nonstop been introspecting, praying. And so I come to you right now with, it's just, I'm so full of thoughts with a very sincere wish for peace and a better understanding among us, the people. Because we're all here doing our best, trying to share important information to help others understand what's happening around them. And every single one of you, the hard work and dedication does not go unnoticed, at least by me. I see it and I deeply appreciate it. But I've realized something important. I've been expecting things from many people, maybe things I've never clearly communicated, or maybe things that were just way too much to ask. I set expectations on people that I don't know that well on a personal level. I mean, anyone can profile anyone with documentation. And I'll tell you what, if you ever profile a human being without the human themselves in the element, but just documentation, usually the picture is a very ugly one. But when they portray something that is better, that is what you have to look at. I've realized that these, you know, silent expectations have been a shadow causing tension and disagreements and fallouts between all people. And none of us are not guilty of it. I am too. And for that, I am coming with humility to say I'm sorry. Because within us, we have this um, 
basic instinct that I've always said to look out for ourselves, that self-preservation, which is one of the ugliest qualities that humans have. But we are all in the same boat, trying to navigate through challenging and uncertain times. And it doesn't make sense for us to argue amongst ourselves, creating holes in the very vessel that keeps us afloat. Our discussions, our disagreements shouldn't be what tear us down. It should be what builds us up, helping us to learn and move forward together. So for example, when I see someone I love interact with someone that I don't agree with, my interaction with that person and the problems that I have with that person are with me, not with everyone else. And maybe your friend that meets that other person that you have a problem with will be the remedy so they don't repeat being the same kind of character or provide that type of interaction. Every interaction, every experience you have in your life is to make you, and they can be good or bad, and they're all individual. It breaks my heart to see people in fighting now on religion and policies, and it's just terrible. The real challenge that we face right now isn't in this place that you're at right now, in your home, in your car, in your office. It's the discord and the separation that can come when we let our differences pull us apart. So let's not be the force that guides that. Instead, let's allow our shared goals and the love and respect we have for one another to be what defines us. And look to see what it really means to have humanity. We should have clear communication, empathy, and shared purposes. We're supposed to be building, not breaking. We're supposed to be understanding, not fighting. And we're supposed to be sharing love, not toxic discord. Having said that, now I'm going to put on um, the other streams... So I can air this episode. I appreciate every single one of you. Hopefully today I can have the Biden series up. I'm, I'm still working on it because I stumbled up on some information that was quite fascinating. God bless everyone. Enjoy the show. I don't want to set the word. gentlemen, I bring you a message of hope, not fear. A message that I hope will galvanize us all into much needed action. The problem is quite simple. Anarchy and chaos prevails in Washington, D.C. because the federal government has seized powers to which it is not entitled to and is passing 
masses of laws that are 100% unconstitutional. And when you get men setting themselves up as greater than the Constitution of the United States, you get anarchy and eventually tyranny. Remember, remember the 5th of November, the media's spin and plot. I know of no reason the election season should ever be forgot. Glowless scheming, the people were dreaming of truth and a fair say. But twists and turns as history burns, drowned voices that day. So if ever you ponder while we all wonder about that November lore, remember the time, the near-perfect crime, and always question more. Trigger trees. Pull that up there. Babylon is coming back to life with its famed Ish Ishtar Gate. We'll explain what that means. Is Gate to be restored by this summer? Subtitled a new world a new world monuments fund project in conjunction with the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad. Look at that. Aims to repair Iraqi culture heritage as part of the future of Babylon project. The EU has already built a Tower of Babel, a statue of a woman riding the beast, and Baal worship is taking place in England. Symbolism of mystery Babylon is everywhere in Europe and in the U.S. It's happening right before our eyes. The only reason a Christian could miss this symbolism is if they haven't seen these things or, more likely, if they don't know their Bible. So in this video, we're going to do both things. We're going to show you the symbols and we're going to explain the verses that explain the symbols. Why is this important? Well, because Mystery Babylon is an essential element of the end times. Revelation devotes two whole chapters to it, chapters 17 and 18, and because it is a great murderer of Christians in the end times. Revelation 17.6 says it is drunk on the blood of the saints. Maybe it murders nearly as many, who knows, maybe even more than the beast. And Babylon comes before the beast. It rides or controls the beast until the beast finally burns Babylon with fire. Today, we're going to pack all of this in this super important video. We're going to start with some of the obvious in-your-face symbols that are popping up in Europe. Symbols so incredible, they're hard to believe. We're going to look at a symbol that you probably saw in the last week or two at the Commonwealth Games opening ceremony where dancers were apparently worshiping a huge mechanical bull. Look at this video clip. Look at how incredibly pagan it looks. It's very obvious that the dancers are pretending to worship the bull. Now, all the videos and articles I read on this said it was Baal worship because Baal is the bull. And, you know, that's absolutely correct. Baal is pictured by a bull. But that is not the only meaning of the symbol. It is a direct reference to Mystery Babylon and the woman riding the beast. Let me explain. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, Revelation 17.3. So as you watch the video, you didn't see the woman riding the beast. At least most didn't in the video versions that were sent out. However, that is exactly what happened. Let's do show this. Notice how the woman approaches the beast. Then, as in this shot, she ends up riding the beast. What could be more indicative of Mystery Babylon than a woman riding the beast? 
Well, why is this being used at Great Britain's Commonwealth Games with, you know, 72 nations present? Well, it is symbolic of the Greek myth, the rape of Europa. Europa is where Europe gets its name, after all. Now, in this myth, Zeus, the king of the Greek gods, spied a young woman on a beach in the Middle East and transformed himself into a bull with long curved horns in the shape of a crescent moon. That's important. We'll get back to that in a little bit. Zeus is the Greek name for the Middle Eastern god Baal. The Sumerian god Enlil, the Egyptian god Ra, all of them are the same. And all of them are Satan, who was a cherubim, as per Ezekiel 28. We did this former video in this exact topic. Cherubim have four faces, lion, eagle, man, and bull. So it's not at all surprising that these gods we just mentioned sometimes appear as a lion, or as an eagle, or a bull, or a dragon, or even a man. So in this myth, the bull is Satan in disguise. The woman climbs on his back and he carries her into the Mediterranean and abuses her. Not a very nice story to be glorified in the opening ceremonies of an international sporting event. But this myth is glorified all over Europe today in statues, paintings, currency, bills, coins. In front of another European building, the Council of Europe building in Brussels, the EU has this statue of a woman riding the beast. Very direct symbolism. The woman, as we said, is Europa and the beast is Zeus or Satan from the ancient Greek legend. Another sign that Europe considers itself already to be Mystery Babylon, the woman who rides the beast from Revelation. Let's look at that passage in the Bible. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns, and on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and of the abominations of the earth. Revelation 17, 3 through 5. So the woman is the modern Babylon, although it is a mystery. And the original Babel was the mother of all subsequent abominations on the earth. The reason it has given birth to other Babylons is Babylon has moved. In Zechariah, we see this woman moving. Then the angel who talked with me came out and said to me, Lift your eyes now and see what this is that goes forth. So I asked, what is it? And he said, it is a basket that is going forth. He also said, this is their resemblance throughout the earth. Here is a lead disc lifted up. And this is a woman sitting inside the basket. And he said, this is wickedness. And he thrust her down into the basket and threw the lead cover over its mouth. Then I raised my eyes and looked. And there were two women coming with the wind in their wings. For they had wings, like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between the earth and heaven. So I said to the angel who was talking to me, where are they carrying the basket? And he said to me to build a house for it in the land of Shinar. When it is ready, the basket will be set there on its base. What is the base? It is the base that still remains there of the Tower of Babel. How many times has Babylon moved? We are told the beast that it rides has seven heads. So it has been based in seven different places where the seven heads were. And there's an eighth head coming, so it will likely be based in eight places. Another aspect of the Commonwealth Games that almost no one reported on is that they had a Tower of Babel as well, another Mystery Babylon link. In fact, the announcer called the Tower the Tower of Babel. And if you look at a comparison between the Commonwealth Tower and artwork of the Tower of Babel, notice the arches on both and the levels on both. There is absolutely no doubt this was meant to look like the Tower of Babel. 
The European Union Parliament building also looks like the Tower of Babel. In fact, they acknowledge architecturally it was based on the Tower of Babel. The slogan of the entire EU is many tongues, one voice. You know, the opposite of what happened at the Tower of Babel, where they had one voice initially and then were split into many tongues. And the spokesperson has said that they chose the Tower of Babel because it represents one world government and a rejection of God, both things which the EU supports. The USA also has its own Tower of Babel, the One World Trade Center, stressing the one world aspect as in one world government. The blatant nature of this symbolism is just incredible to me. For instance, let's go back to the Commonwealth Games for a second because that opening ceremony was so satanic and so intentional. It started with a video of these falling stars. Yes, falling stars. Like in Revelation 12 where the dragon Satan cast a third of the stars down with his tail. So these stars represent fallen angels cast down with Satan. Now look at this. The girl who will eventually ride the bull is praying to and worshipping a crystal which is a part of one of these stars. A piece of a fallen angel. You just can't make this stuff up. It's so satanic, so intentional. But let's get back to the symbolism of the bull with the crescent moon horns. We promised we'd talk about that. Well, it's Baal, the bull, who led the Israelites astray. Baal, the moon god, whose symbol was the crescent moon, and another, the bull, the same god who led Muhammad astray, and is currently called Allah, the god of Islam today. So, is Islam planning on raping Europe? They have already infiltrated Europe with lots of immigrants. Islam is the largest and most active religion in Europe, other than atheism. In Revelation 17, 16, the beast is eventually going to burn the woman with fire. This is a very likely end to this symbolic story. In the USA, you are probably familiar with the famous charging bull statue on Wall Street. But did you ever see the fearless girl statue that's near it? She hasn't climbed on the bull just yet, but the symbolism of the bull and the girl who rides the beast is very clear. There are more symbols of Babylon in Europe. The second is the famed Ishtar Gate with its winged lions and snake dragons that was physically taken from Babylon to Berlin, Germany. It's actually more than a symbol. It's the real gate. Another incredible artifact, the throne of Satan, was moved to Berlin from Pergamum, Turkey, immediately prior to World War I. This throne is mentioned in Revelation 2 in the letter to Pergamum. Adolf Hitler was so impressed by this throne, he had a copy built. It was from this copy that he ordered the Holocaust to begin. In 2008, U.S. presidential candidate Obama constructed a similar edifice on which he accepted his party's nomination. This links the USA to this symbol as well. Another symbol of Mystery Babylon is the so-called all-seeing eye or eye of horse. Anyone who has seen the US $1 bill knows that it is featured prominently on the back of the bill. This symbol of a pyramid with the eye on top is part of the seal of the USA, of the government, which has an eagle on the front and this pyramid and eye in the back. Now, where did this come from? The Eye of Horus is said to derive from a conflict between the god Horus and a rival god of his from Egypt known as Set, in which Set tore out Horus's eye. But the eye was subsequently healed and returned to Horus. And Horus then offered the eye to his deceased father, Osiris, who you probably have heard us talk about in other videos. This is the same being as Nimrod in the Bible, and its revitalizing power sustained Osiris in the afterlife. The Eye of Horus, then, is a symbol of the one who is in the abyss and will come out of the abyss in return. 
the beast who was, is not, and will be, in other words, the Antichrist. In the U.S. seal. It's found in the U.S. seal. And at the top of the pyramid, of course, is the eye. And above that is the motto, Anuit Coptis, which is Latin for, it is favorable to our undertakings. Or, he favors our undertakings. Who? The one who has the eye. The spirit of the Antichrist. Below the pyramid, a scroll reads, Novus Ovdo Seclorum, which is Latin for New Order of the Ages, or in other words, the New World Order. The disembodied eye. You know, it just strongly conveys the sense of a prime, authoritarian big brother. In combination with the pyramid beneath it, it suggests an ancient pagan satanic cult associated with Freemasons, New World Order, etc. This is the government of the USA, a government that most don't realize has these connections. A quick glance into the harbor of New York City gives us another symbol of Mystery Babylon, the Statue of Liberty based on the pagan goddess Libertas. This is the same woman in just a different culture and a different name who will later ride the beast. Then, of course, there's the infamous United Nations statue of the winged lion that appeared at the UN building in New York for a period of time last year. So the Western democracies of Europe and America are full of symbols of Mr. Babylon. But why? For one, as an open affront against God himself. And as an encouragement to their leaders who will undertake the audacious overthrow of the world. That will be Mystery Babylon. Another purpose is to show Christians exactly who is who and who Mystery Babylon is. When you see these symbols, that's where Mystery Babylon will be. To me, based on these symbols... That means the UN, America and Europe are the drivers of Mystery Babylon. To the UN and uh, further evidence that it's a hopelessly corrupt clown operation. When we think about the United Nations, then we think about exactly that. An organization, a political organization bringing the nations together. And that sounds like uh, something commendable. And the question is, is that all that there is behind it? Do you remember that at the Tower of Babel, God separated the nations? Now, if you look at the headquarters of the United Nations in New York, this is really quite a fascinating building. It is large, and the name United Nations was coined by United States President Franklin D. Roosevelt and was used in the Declaration by United Nations of January 1942 during the Second World War when representatives of 26 nations pledged their governments to continue fighting together against what they called the Axis Powers. Interesting name, Axis Powers. Today there's another Axis that is being fought, and that is known as the Axis of Evil. Have you heard of that? The forerunner of the United Nations was the League of Nations, and this was an organization in similar circumstances during the First World War and established in 1919 under the Treaty of Versailles to promote the international cooperation and to achieve peace and security. This comes straight from the UN webpage, so nothing strange about that. It's just plain history. Some more from that. In 1945, representatives of 50 countries met in San Francisco at the United Nations Conference on International Organizations, and they drew up the United Nations Charter. And those delegates deliberated on the basis of proposals worked out by representatives of China, Soviet Union, United Kingdom, United States, at Dumbarton Oaks, United States, in August, October 1944. It was signed on 26 June 1945. 50 countries, Poland was not represented, and became one of the original... 51 member states. So it officially came into existence on the 24th of October 1945 when the charter was ratified by China, France, Soviet Union, United Kingdom, United States and by a majority of the other signatories and every 
24th of October, they celebrate this founding of the United Nations. Now, let's have a look at this charter of the United Nations. This is a very interesting piece of history. Well, Arthur Balfour, do you remember that name? We've used it before. Who was a member of Hort's Apostles? Remember Hort? This is the professor that uh, helped to produce the Greek text that changed the emphasis of the Bible and removed many of the aspects of Jesus Christ's power and sovereignty from the Word of God. And the Apostles were the secret society that uh, functioned and at that time, and Hort was a member, as well as Arthur Balfour. Hort called this group a senior apostles club, as well as president of the Psychic Research Society, Society for Psychic Research, soon became Prime Minister of England, Arthur Balfour, and instrumental in the First League of Nations. So this, president, this uh, Prime Minister was also, of course, active in the writing of the original charter of the League of Nations, much of which formed the basis for the United Nations. He not only headed the Society for Psychic Research, holding seances at his home, but he initiated a group called the Synthetic Society, whose goal was to create a one-world religion. That's a very interesting point of history. And he invited a certain Frederick Mayers at the Society of Psychic Research to join, and together they created the preamble of all religions, and it includes the dogma, departed spirits can communicate. Obviously, if you belong to such a society, then that is part of the situation. So, built in somewhere over there, was the wish to bring all religions together. Now let's have a look at some of the historic figures of the United Nations. Alga Hiss, he became the acting Secretary General of the Establishment of the United Nations. The April 16, 1945 issue of Time magazine called him one of the State Department's brighter young men. It was Hiss and Joseph E. Johnson who later became Secretary of the Bilderbergers. So here we have all the secret societies again who wrote much of the United Nations Charter. So very high Freemasons, Bilderbergers, were responsible for this charter. Let me know what they believe. We've already had a lecture on that, and I would prefer people back to that lecture. Patterning it after the Constitution of Russia and the Communist Manifesto. That's very interesting. So the Constitution of the USSR is almost identical to the Constitution of the United Nations, for those who did not know that. And there are all the references. Everything that I say is referenced. I'm just reading. So please, nobody get angry with me. Get angry if you want to with whoever set this thing up. I had nothing to do with it. Winston Churchill, the creation of an authoritative world order is the ultimate aim to watch which we must strive, and the United Nations formed part of that. Charles de Gaulle, who was also instrumental, nations must unite in a world government or perish. So the big figures involved had this philosophy. Then there is a man, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Trigger Lee, the first official UN Secretary General was a high-ranking member of Norway's Social Democratic Party, which was, by the way, an offshoot of the Third Communist International, and then came a man, Doug Hammarskjöld. And he was the second Secretary General. He was a Swedish Socialist. He openly pushed Communist policy. And then came Utah, the third Secretary General, and he was a Marxist. So here you can see how the philosophy in the beginning was programmed. Now, I would like you to understand that this is not a method to go anti-capitalist, because the United States was a signatory of this charter. So why would the United States actually sign something that was so obviously contrary to their own philosophy? Well, if you remember the Hegelian principle, where two opposing viewpoints are set into the world and neither of them is really the viewpoint you want to achieve, what you really want to achieve is a synthesis between the two. So what you see actually is you see socialists in the overriding capacity of secretary generals. Although whether they have Marxist leanings or capitalist leanings at that level doesn't make any difference. The method is just to bring about a synthesis which is the desired government of all of them. So out of this chaos, you eventually get whatever you want. It's taken me 25 years to come to the conclusions that I have come to. And 
I want to tell you that one of the biggest things I discovered in my work was the existence of a supranational committee composed of 300 men. I came across this quite by accident when I was serving in Africa in Angola. Well, that was episode one. Tonight, we'll have episode two. I hope that people can see this with clearer eyes today. And I apologize, the software I'm using, I can't remove the tip jar in case anybody wanted to rip it or use it. Um, so I apologize, my software's stuck. <laughs> I've uh, communicated with them. So tonight, we'll have episode two of The Fall of Babylon. Please continue to pursue truth because we're definitely at war. At 3 p.m. Eastern time, we will be holding a spaces um, with some special guests to discuss the role of the House Speaker and how important it is to ensure that the Speaker of the House is non-interest driven and that the only interests they have are that of the people. And I stress this again. The only thing we need right now is to ensure that we have free and fair, transparent elections. The reason we are here today, a breath away from the ring of fire that I mentioned in July, is because we have been burdened with so many things to simply survive from work, education, raising a family, paying taxes, abiding by rules of our employers. We feel like we're on a hamster wheel where we're constantly working and running and feeling like we're getting nowhere sometimes. But it is in those moments of these trials where we realize that we're not understanding that we are also placing expectations on ourselves, that we probably haven't been seasoned enough to actually achieve yet. And it is those hardships and these introspections that we have at the point that we realize that we will get to where we're supposed to get. And the journey is up to us. Therefore, I think the more direct way is through truth, no matter how painful it is. God bless everyone. And don't miss episode two tonight. I don't want to set the world on fire. Just wanna start a flame in your heart. In my heart, I have but one desire, and that one is you.